0: So, if I told anybody, I told you guys I had some beachfront property in Arizona, <laughs> would you guys be interested in buying it? Yeah, it'd be worth a fortune. We don't want to go on There you go, right? So, you know, in, in our world, you know, those, these, those sayings and things like that, like I have a bridge to sell you in Brooklyn, things like that. Um, They come across because we've encountered people who try to sell things to us that sound like they're great, they sound like they're awesome, and then you buy them, and it definitely isn't what you thought it would be, right? Sometimes you have to look at something, like if you're buying on the internet, and then you're like, oh, this is a great deal, and actually look at the picture and go, oh, that's actually the actual size. So the size in the picture was the actual size of the car or whatever. You're like, wait, that's not what I wanted. <laughs> well, that's what you ordered. Well, right, we get bamboos, and so we, we live in a world where, where people who don't have the same ethics or morals, you know, they just want to make a buck. And sometimes it's not a big deal, but other times it comes back to bite us because we want people to keep their word. We want people to be honest with, the, with us and we, we should be honest with other people, so you know, if we're selling something like yard sale sometimes, you know, it's sort of like it's a yard sale, right? So I'm oh, selling it for five bucks anyway, so come on, how much do you really want it for? Um, but sometimes people get really upset, they think you're trying to scam them, just get rid of stuff or whatever. And so, and so it's like, look, I'm not trying to scam you, it's just I need to sell it for five bucks, you know, it's just whatever. But, but we do this so we, we rely on people to be honest with us right? that's kind of what makes the world go around if we can't have trust we can't trust people with what we're doing what we're buying from the stores you know, that's why they had to have you know, that's why there's standards and weights and measures is, you know, if you buy um, uh, you know, a foot it used to be an actual foot like the measurement of a foot with somebody's foot so if you had really big feet you could make a lot more money or you could hose people if you had, or if you had small feet. You know, so throughout time, people had to make these measurements, like, standardized and say, okay, this is a, 12 inches is a foot, so everybody gets the same thing. And so that's like, oh, this is my, you know, oh, my shoe. Of course my shoe is this big. That's, that's how big my foot is, so I'm getting a better deal. And when we're dealing with God... You know, we want to be able to trust Him because if we can't trust God, there is no point in worshiping Him or following Him or coming here and listening to anything, this, reading this book and hearing anything it has to say. Because if it's just made up on a bunch of lies, I have better things to do with my time. And so do all of you. And that's really what the beauty of this is, is that all of this stuff has come true or it will come true at some point. Because God has said it will, and so we see that here with, with Sarah and, and Isaac, his, his birth, because he said, back in chapter 12, I'm going to make you a nation, and J-O, he, he kind of reinforces this, like, I'm going to give you a kid, I'm going to give you a kid, I'm going to give you a kid. Chapter 18, God says, I'm, she'll be pregnant within a year and have a baby, and she's like, ha, 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 that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. But now we're going to see in the opening lines of chapter 21, that time is now for, going to be fulfilled. And so we're going to go ahead and read Genesis chapter 21, verses 1 through 8, and then we'll go through the rest of the chapter, because there's three, there's three distinct episodes in this chapter that we're going to see, and actually nice, nice compartmentalized, and uh, we're going to see how God keeps His Word through this whole time, and what, what we can expect from Him, and how we should act with other people as well. And so this is what verse, chapter 21, verse 1 says. The Lord came to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At the appointed, listen, at the appointed time, God had told him. Abraham named his son who, who was born to him, the, the one Sarah bore him, Isaac. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded him. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and everyone who hears will laugh with me. She also said, who would have told Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne a son for him in his old age. In verse 8, the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham held a great feast on the day Isaac was weaned. And so depending on where your Bible verse, where they break number 8 at, it's, sometimes it's, it's the, at the end of... Verse 7, which is in transition. So, verse 8 is kind of the transition there of all of Isaac's stuff right there with his birth. And so, here's the main idea with this today is that God fulfills his word, and as, as we become more Christ like, we can strive to keep our word as well. Because, again, being honest and being able to say, Yes, I'm a Christian, and here's what I say, so I'm just, I say what I mean and mean what I say. Right? I remember my dad saying that all the time when I was a kid? Because our word is the one thing that really we can communicate who we are, but it, it communicates who we are, whether we want it to or not, right? Because we can say one thing, and, but our actions are completely different sometimes to what they are. So we need to make sure those two things match. So we're going to look at this because today the outline, if you look at that on the back of your bulletin. All right, so first thing that God's word is fulfilled on time That's the first eight verses God's word is fulfilled with grace We're going to see how he deals with certain things And then God's word is fulfilled with honesty And that's the last Verses 22 through 34 And so going back up To the first eight verses So, so now is the time for, for God's word to be fulfilled His promise to Sarah Back in chapter 18 you know, A year has passed basically everything would happen and now she is going to have a child and so all this build up we have from chapter 12 all the way back in chapter 12 which we started like in like in May or June we started this so now for us it's several months for this time period it's something like you know 20 20 years or so from these promises being made in chapter 12 all the way to now it's roughly somewhere around 20 years or so and so they've been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting to have kids And all we get is three lines. God fulfilled it. She got pregnant. She had the baby. Done. Like, wait, what? That's the movie? Right? Because sometimes you can watch a movie and go, well, you know, that's it. That's all I had to do. If they would have just done this, the movie would be over in five minutes. And that's kind of what this is. We waited and waited and waited. We watched the prequels. And all of a sudden, the movie, you know, the summer blockers, you've all been waiting for. Boom. Isaac's here. Done. Let's go home. Roll credits. Like, what? Wait. What happened? There's got to be more excitement to this, right? And of course, for them, if you've had a kid, you know that's super exciting. It's super terrifying and super stressful all at the same time. But having a kid is great. It's like, yes! I actually wanted, I, I didn't have time, I do I not know anybody who sold them. I was actually going to go get you guys the, 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 the uh, gummy, or the gum, the bubble gum cigars. I was going to have a for, for the birth for the birth of Isaac, but I didn't know anybody who sold them anymore. Probably because it illustrates smoking and it's bad, um, so they probably outlawed them. But we see this and this in all this build up. But we get it because here's the important part of this: it's not the fact that Isaac was born; it's the fact that God said Isaac was going to be born, and he was born. And that's the important part. So we'll read the Bible. We're like, well, why is there more to the, that part? Because we get the point of what it is. Is God, your know, Lord, came and as He said, and Lord did for Sarah, as He promised, at the appointed time. God told him. All of this is God doing the work. Right, Sarah and Abraham. Uh, childbirth is very exhausting and everything else. But God. All this stuff happened because God made it happen. He said it. And then it happened. He makes it happen. Right? His words, just like in creation, opening of Genesis, God said, let there be light and everything else. And it happens. And we know that Abraham was 100 years old by this time. And we've seen Abraham had some trouble waiting because we all hate waiting. We all hate waiting. We, all want, we want Christmas gifts now. Like, go buy the Christmas gifts and I'll find them. And I want them now because I don't want to wait until December. Yeah, that's why we that's why I think we have Christmas in July, because I don't want to wait. And if I get two Christmases a year, that's even better. But God came through in all these instances, even though Abraham had to wait because he's human. Right? In chapter 20, one of these instances, right, if we if we read chapter 20, we're like, oh, this stuff's not gonna happen because again, he's getting these promises all the time, like reinforced, like, hey, it's gonna happen, it's gonna happen. Don't worry, keep waiting, keep waiting. And then we see Abraham do his own thing. Like, "Uh uh-oh, Sarah's hanging out with Abimelech. Is he going to marry her? Their their marriage is over? What's going to happen? Like, "Mm, cliffhanger. But Abraham and Sarah are taken care of by God. And then Sarah laughs. She laughs when God said he was going to make her have a child. And she laughs, a disbelieving laugh. And this disbelieving laugh in chapter 18 changes to one of joyful relief In in chapter 21, verse 6, right? She says, God has made laughter for me. Because it's such a joyous occasion. She's like, she's laughing and crying all at the same time because she's probably relieved that this actually happened. She's been waiting so long for this, like, I can't believe it happened, right? She's probably laughing because she just can't believe it. And she's so happy that it actually has happened. Everyone who hears will laugh with me because, again... Everybody gets happy when babies are born, generally, usually. And so it's nice and be, to be happy with the parents. Partly because we know if, you, if you're ahead of them in the parent game, you know what's about to happen. So it's like, ha ha, ha suckers, glad it's not us. Yeah. We're, we're good, we're, we've been through that, right? But, you know, we're also laughing with them because we know how happy and joyful all that pain and sleepless nights and the, the throw up and all that stuff is, is worth it, especially when they move out. I love my kids. I'm, just I'm not joking about loving my kids. I love my kids. <clears throat> so Abraham is obedient. He commands. He, he performs all the ceremonies, right? He he circumcises Isaac just as God commanded, and so he's doing these things because now, again, he's on the straight and narrow with God. He's like, all right, here it is. It's happening. And then at the, when we get to verse eight, um, Abraham has a feast for Isaac's weaning. So. This typically took place somewhere around they think somewhere around the third birthday. So, again, cause for celebration, uh, partly because in this day and age the kid lived to be three years old, so that's a pretty big deal. You know, back here in this you know way back, um, getting to the three year old point is probably a huge milestone because now the kid can move around, he can walk, he's, he can now eat regular food and everything else. So. It's a big thing to celebrate, and especially the fact that they've been waiting forever for this kid to come show up. So now it's even a little more. It's a little more important. And so, that, so from verse 1 to verse 8, that's, three, that's a three-year period that we see right here. That's three years take place within eight verses. And we see God fulfilling His promises to Abram and Sarah. And they waited the majority of their lives to be fulfilled. Because remember, they've been married for a good long while and they were 75-ish or Abraham was 75 when they were told to move. So they'd already been married for however many years with no kids. And now he's 100, so there's another 25 years. Right? So they've been waiting a very long time. And so here's the application point for this part, is that we must be patient as God fulfills His greatest promise to us. And so the greatest promise is the one of eternal life. Right? That is what we're promised, and so we are in sort of the same boat. It's... It's we have the promise, but we have to wait for it. Now we know, unfortunately, the eternal life part doesn't get realized until we die. Until we physically die, we don't get to realize and go to heaven. So we are waiting, living in these two worlds of living here on earth, but also waiting to go to heaven. And so this is difficult for us because nobody wants to die, but everyone wants to go to heaven a lot of times. We, we kind of think that, and it's it's. Death is scary, but for us it should be comforting because we know where we're going. And we have to trust that we know where we're going. We know that. So we need to hold fast to God all the time while we're waiting and try to not be like Abraham as much as possible. We're kind of doing our own thing and then coming back to God because it's gotten so bad. Now, we end up being like Abraham a lot. Because when we're driving down the road, it's easy not to hang on and maybe not pay a lot of attention because... The roads were nice and smooth, right? You just drive, it's like, all right, nice. No, no bumps, but what happens when you hit a big pothole? Or you have to go over a speed bump, or you have to turn real fast, and a curvy you turn, you're like you're, whoa, you gotta hang on, right? If you're driving, you, the driver would be a little easier because you're, you're hanging on to the wheel, but what happens when you, you might be just cruising down the road, all of a sudden it gets rainy or bumpy? All of a sudden, two hands on the wheel, right? Sometimes you got to make sure you're not doing the grip of death because, you know, it's, it's too icy. Like one, one time we came, we drove from uh, Greenville to Reno in the wintertime. They had like a foot of snow. So we had to have, we had to have chains for like 30 or 40 miles. And so I was like grip of death on the wheel going super slow because I didn't want to fall off into the ravine of the river. Because some of the places were 100 foot or up to a thousand foot drop some of the places, right? So yeah, exactly. <gasps> right, because I'm responsible for everybody. If you're the passenger's a little harder, so you might have to grab the oh-no handle, as the calls it. Right? Doing pull-ups on that thing sometimes if I'm driving through traffic. You sit up a little more, though, right? You watch. You watch what's going on. You say, okay. Swiveling around, making sure. And the neat thing is, though, that we have the seatbelt on. And it just tightens up automatically. Sometimes it does at the wrong time, and you're just trying to move around. Like <laughs> but a lot of times, it is designed to it is designed to lock up, so you don't move as much when you get in an accident. And it's nice and comforting to know that's there again, even though if it does happen at the wrong time, sometimes you're just trying to move up a little bit, and it just locks as you think there's an accident. You're like, but when it, when you need it and it does that, you're like, oh, I'm not going to go through the theoretically, I'm not going to go through the windshield. There's probably less of a chance. And so God keeps us safe in a similar way because if you belong to God, you have His covenant. You know you're safe. You have that restraint that no matter how bad it gets, even if you pass away, you know where you're going. And when we mess up like Abraham or we're unbelieving or disbelieving like Sarah, He honors His end of the bargain and He actually takes care of our end of the bargain as well. Because right, we saw that last time in chapter 20 with Abraham's shenanigans. you could have been like, you're done, Ab- you're God. this is God. Abraham, you're done. I'm kicking you out of the, off the covenant. I'm evicting you. But he doesn't. He's like, look, I'll pay for you. I'll make sure you get paid. And so we can trust God's promise that Jesus has allowed us to enter into paradise. Because his death pays for that. He, he pays for us to get rid of our sins. And that's a joy for us because now through our lives, we can be, we know we're forgiven. We can be a little bit more relaxed. We know what's going on. And and we know that we're going to have sorrow, but we know ultimately we have this joy. And so we know, though, moving into chapter, uh, verse 9, that God's word is fulfilled with grace. And so for Sarah and Abram, they're having this party. They're happy. They're excited. And all of a sudden in verse 9... It says, but Sarah saw the son, this, this means Ishmael, saw Ishmael mocking Isaac. She does not like that. All right? She's not, Mama is not happy that her sort of, kind of like, I guess you could say, stepson is picking on her son. Now, to put it in perspective again, this is, so Ishmael is probably. The you a know, late teenager by this point. He's probably 16-ish. And he's picking on probably at least a 3-year-old, if not maybe a little older, depending on how much other time has passed between, say, verses 8 to whatever verse 9 is. <clears throat> and so the interesting thing about the Hebrew word that we have is mocking, or some other words translated here in our English versions, it's the same word as laughter or laughing. So it's a play on words with Isaac's name. Because Isaac's name means laughter. But here it means mocking or sneering and maybe ridiculing, right? So it's kind of the ridiculing laughter. And this upsets Sarah. And so the author here, again in the Hebrew, it gives us this, this wordplay going on. And we don't know exactly what upsets. We don't know what was said, if he was just poking at him or whatever. But it's irrelevant. Whatever it is, Sarah is mad. Even Paul tells us in Galatians 4.29 to kind of bring this all back to the the Jews. He says he assumes the passage portrayed harmful behavior and goes so far as to describe Ishmael's behavior as persecuting the son or persecuting Isaac. So obviously there is some jealousy because here it is. This three-year-old kid is now essentially the heir to the throne if you want to look at it that way. All of Abraham's stuff. Ishmael's going to get like 1% or whatever of, of his stuff. And so, well, I'll tell the story. So my brother and I are 16 years apart. So one day, that, so I, I, was, I was a grown man, and he was probably 12 or 13, I think. I talked to my mom for some reason. And she said, oh, Jonathan's at home watching a movie, watch a scary movie or something like that. So I was like, yes. So I called and they went, to the voice, they went to the machine and I said, I'm watching you. Right? And he's like, Wah! So he got scared. He called my mom, grabbed his BB gun, oh. and waited. <laughs> he was hiding. I should have known better. I should have known better. It was for my own evil pleasure, I guess, in a way, right? My mocking kind of like Isaac or maybe Ishmael is doing to this, right? Ridiculing a little bit, mocking him, just trying to scare him, right? And so my mom was livid. She apparently, when she got the phone call from my brother, she left work. She told me she drove home as fast as she could. Like she, so there's a, there's a intersection by their house and she apparently cut through the people's yard oh instead of stopping and making a right hand turn. She like cut the corner literally and, and, and got in there, like, was it a year, a year later, I think, when my parents, maybe we went either I think they came out here, my stepdad yelled at me, basically, for causing so much havoc for that. Now, I thought it was the funniest thing ever. They did not. And so my guess is that's probably something that happened with, with Ishmael and Isaac, right? And again, as a grown adult, I should have known better. I should not have picked on picked on my little brother like that. You know, it wasn't funny. So, so that's the type of stuff. Now, again, here Sarah thinks that, as Paul says, persecuting the son. So there's something going on, and so Sarah wants Hagar gone, right? He's like, she's like, you need to get her, get rid of her, and her kid. And there's been bad blood probably the last couple chapters, last 15 years or 16 years or so. And so it's the same thing when when when. Hagar first got pregnant. Sarah wanted to get rid of her. And so we see that things haven't changed. She goes from being joyful to being ungraceful. Sarah does. So she talks to Abraham says, Ishmael will not be an heir together with, my, with Isaac. Right? He is not going to share in the wealth that you have been given by God. Right? It's not even his stuff, really. Everything's been given to him. But Ishmael's not going to get any of it. Again, Sarah is not looking at things very gracefully. Because you kind of see that Abraham is pretty rich. And you could easily split it. Even if you split it fifty-one fifty or fifty-one forty-nine, everybody would have enough stuff to go around. But it stresses Abraham out. Because now he's got two sons to deal with. And now he has to pick his favorite kid. The oldest one or the new one. Right, what do I do? And it's a little unclear if Abraham is kind of praying to God or if God is, obviously he's aware, but, you know, God, it said, God said to Abraham in verse 12, do not be distressed about the boy and your slave. Whatever Sarah says to you, listen to her, because your offspring will be traced through Isaac. And I will also make a nation of a slave's son, because he is your offspring. And so he's like, okay. So he's like, hey, Hagar. And, and Ishmael, here's your uh, backpack of bread. This is verse 14, right? Here's your backpack of bread. Here's your water. Uh, here's a compass. Go that way. Leave the camp. Get out. Right? He kicks them out. Of course, that's probably not a happy day. I'm thinking. But when 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 Hagar runs out of water, she goes out to hunt, and she encounters God or an angel as well. And he says, "Look," in, in verse 21:18, says he will make a great nation of, of Ishmael. And so all of a sudden they see the well, they get water, and they move move on down towards Egypt, and they live their lives. So here's our application for this part, though. is that God uses grace to fix our sins. He uses grace to fix our sins. So Ishmael is a byproduct of of Abraham trying to force having, having a kid, having his own kid. And so he's just kind of caught in the middle. Sarah's very jealous of Hagar. She wants him gone. She wants both of them gone. right? Because Abram went out on his own to fix this problem. And it came back to bite him. And again, he has to, he has to pick which kid do I want to keep. Can't I, can I keep both? Obviously not. And we often have similar problems. When we commit a sin, we create a lot of other consequences. It's kind of the ripple in the pool. We throw a little pebble in like, oh, this is no big deal. But all of a sudden... It ripples out in the lake. You have all these other fifth, sixth order effects of things that we didn't plan on that we can't control. But God shows his grace, shows, shows his grace to us when we sin. And he has a way of, to work things out for his favor and his glory. Well, that's the other thing, even when we mess up, things go towards his glory. But why is that? Why does God put up with us? Because I'm sure a lot of you guys read the Bible, and I'm like, man, you, what, what is he doing? Why did do they do that? I'm glad I'm not like Abraham. And then go, oh, wait, I am like Abraham. I do dumb things too. Why is it? Because God's grace flows from the essence of his being. That is who God is. So though. Exodus 34, 6. The Lord, the Lord of God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. right That's the description. That's, that's basically God's self-description. When Moses says, who are you? I want to know what, what who are you? What do you do? This is what he says. He's a merciful God. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. right We come back to that Hebrew word hesed, which is the way to describe God. It's almost undefinable in a sense, but it, it has all these connotations. And so the greatest example of God of, of grace from God is Jesus. He was innocent in any wrongdoing, but he paid our price. He was the spotless lamb that was sent for the last Passover. He paid for us. He went there. He came to earth to die for us. Romans 3:24 Paul says yet God in his grace, listen, in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. Nothing we do earns His grace. We can't buy it. We can't work for it. We can't work enough for it. We can't give up anything else for it. It's His grace that He freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty for our sins. In Ephesians 2.7 says, So that in the coming ages He might display the immeasurable riches of His grace through His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Jesus came not because we, he had finally had enough and said, okay, I'm going to make this right. Jesus came to make it right beca- at the right time because it was already arranged because in, in order to show us his grace. So God can point to us in all the future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us. So that was a New Living Translation of Ephesians 2.7. Sorry, it gets a little wordy, but it kind of gets the point across a little better. As shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. And even in verse 21, we see that, that Ishmael goes away. He's a boy, a young man. And he, gets, he lives in the wilderness and becomes an archer, so he's kind of famous for that. He has a means to eat and, and kill and make money maybe. And he said in the word of Quran, his mother got a wife for him from the land of Egypt. right? So even he gets a little bit of a happy ending. He gets married. Obviously has kids, right? Because the Islam traces their line through Ishmael. If you have a Quran, if you read the Quran, look it up, even, right? This is where this is where the two faiths converge or, or, or diverge. Right? So you have the Jews who are descended from Isaac, and you have the, the Muslims who are descended from Ishmael. That's where the paths go. Both are descended from Abraham. (coughs) And so Paran is located the southern border of of Canaan, so kind of towards near Egypt. (coughs) And so now we come to this other story, and this is, again, we come back to Abraham with Abimelech. And so this is why last week I wanted to, when I read ahead, I wanted to possibly combine 20 and 21 because they're basically two bookends. Abimelech is the bookends of these, this little section. But we see that here that, that God's words are fulfilled with honesty here in the last part of the chapter. And so Abimelech wants to deal with Abraham about the land, about the water, and everything else. And, and, and he says, God is with you in everything you do. This is verse 22. Swear to me by God here and now that you will not break an agreement with me or with my children and descendants. Right, So Abimelech knows that Abraham is a God follower He's a man of God and So he wants to make sure That Abraham is going to deal with him honestly Because why? Because he already knows Abraham lied to him He's like I remember When you lied to me about your wife, sister You omitted certain things So I want to make sure that you're going to be honest with me Because hey I know you follow God And I know what he says So he kind of holds that over his head a little bit. And Abraham says in verse 24, I swear it. Right? I'm not going to do anything wrong. But Abraham complained to Abimelech because of the well that Abimelech's servants had seized. So obviously some kind of dispute. Of, obviously water is important. And there's a livestock exchange though. And so this first set that, Abimelech, that Abraham gives Abimelech um, livestock, it reverses what Abimelech gave Abraham. Right? He's like, okay, you gave me some livestock, so I'm going to give you some livestock back. So we'll make that right. No big deal. And the second set, the one of the seven ewes, if you read down further, essentially purchases a well that Abraham dug. He's like, look, I'm putting a well right here, and here I'm paying for it with some, some ewes, some lambs. And so they made a covenant, and both men kept their word. And this is important. This reflects well on Abraham, not just as a man, but as God's man, right now Abraham is not just speaking for himself. He's sort of speaking for God, or he's speaking as a representative of God. He said, "Look," and Abimelech like calls him. He's like, "No, you. I know you go to church. I know you're a Christian." In our context, so I expect more out of you. And so when people find out I'm a pastor, they usually act funny. A lot of times, it's comical. It's either they think I'm going to fall apart if they've cussed already in my presence and they didn't, they didn't know I was a pastor and so then they apologize or I'm going to smite them because they were cursing. It kind of depends on who it is. It's kind of funny sometimes. But I also know that they're watching me. After that, they expect me or even they are watching to see how I speak or act. Maybe what kind of jokes I tell. Maybe they watch on how whatever jokes they say. Why? Because they want to see if what I say, and more importantly, probably what they think a pastor is or isn't also, matches with what that lines, everything lines up. And so that probably happens with you too, perhaps. You say, oh, I'm a Christian. People like may say, oh, or oh, okay, you're one of those. Sometimes, right? Sometimes we get that, or sometimes we go, oh, great. Then they start talking about certain other things because now you have a different understanding. But we need to be honest with ourselves and with others, right? There should be truth in advertising. And so there are laws. There are actual laws against false advertising. And we usually pick up on things that sound too good to be true, right? Like apparently, I was looking this up, Rice Krispies apparently at one point a few years ago said their cereal was able to boost immunity for your kids. They had it on the box. Like, boost your kids' immunity. Well, that little fib uh, cost Kellogg about $5 million dollars from payouts and then donations as well, they're trying to donate after after everything was said and done. And there's other methods that people use within the law, there's incomplete comparison. So that's an example of saying a product is better than another, but not explaining in what way it is better. Or inconsistent comparisons. This includes comparing a product to only the competitors it can be. You can say, we're the fastest car in this class but like it's, you're comparing yourself to go-karts or soapbox derby cars, right? Like I can beat that kid who built his car in his garage with some wheels and you know, some axles from the hardware store. Right? I was listening to uh, music and the commercial came on for a detergent company and said, you know, it'll save you $150 if you wash in cold water. Well, if you listen to the small print, It tells you this is compared to using a non-HE washer, so an older washer. So they're comparing this, you know, an older, non-HE, non-efficient washer with your new super cool washer that uses less water anyway. So it's like, well, wait a minute. What if I'm comparing how I washed last year in hot water and this year in cold water? How much money am I saving? Because you're really comparing apples and oranges, so how much money am I really saving? So they're not lying, right? They're not lying, but they're not giving you all the information. And it's the same thing with us. When we say we're Christians, we shouldn't be trying to split hairs with people. And say, well, yeah, that doesn't mean this or that. We need to be honest with things, with people. Because we don't need to employ methods to trick people into Christianity, because the God we worship is the truest thing out there. He is the truest thing. He is the one being that doesn't change his, just because on a whim. Right? We see all these things, things that were cool yesterday are not cool today. Society has flipped and shifted and they keep going back and forth. God is not like that. Our worshiping God is not like that. We move to the middle. God stays in the middle. Because the gospel message is a story that all other stories are based on. The hero comes to save his people at great cost to himself, but he also gets all of his people to safety in the new kingdom. We do not always understand his ways or know why he made Abram and Sarah wait, or why there's evil in the world, but we have the ability to look backward and see how the situation turns out. And we always see God in the situation, right? This chapter starts off with God did as he said. God did what he promised. God did it at the appointed time. And so when we can see that, it helps us with our faith and it helps us wait. And we see this because, and, and Jesus is the one that we should strive to be like and be honest with our words. And so we are not God, wrapping it up. But we are being made in his image every day. Each day is an opportunity to trust God. Each hour is a time to put into practice the lessons God teaches us from his word. Every word that comes out of our mouth is when we have a chance to speak like Christ. We can keep our promises as much as we can, right? In other words, we keep our word. We can use our speech gracefully with others and even with ourselves. Because sometimes it's easier to give others grace than it is to give yourself some grace. And it doesn't mean you let yourself or someone else off the hook. Right? But you, when you repent and you learn from mistakes, you can move on and grow. And if someone else makes a mistake, you show them grace. You don't just kick them out. And all our words should be honest, right? Because in Proverbs 19.1, it says, Better a poor person who lives with integrity than someone who has deceitful lips and is a fool. Pretty good wisdom there. And Colossians 3.19 says, Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices. So, this week, surprise people with your actions and your words that match what the biblical Jesus said and did. Right? That's important to make that distinction, though. The biblical Jesus, not what people think Jesus is, whoever he is, but what the Bible says Jesus is. And not what the world thinks that you should be like or some idea of perversion of Jesus to suit their own ideas, whether it's good or bad. Right? Be Christ-like. Be like the Jesus of the Bible, not the Jesus of the world because it's been messed up. So as we go out this week, think about that. Think about how your actions and your words match what you say you are as a Christian. So let's go ahead and have the band come up and we'll do our last two songs. Thanks.